One, one thing I, I want to make real clear is that trauma-informed gets a bad rap that it's too passive. I've always said, if we're not holding kids accountable, we're failing them. Yeah. It's how we hold them accountable. So when, when, when I held kids accountable by telling them what it is they did wrong, why we're not going to be doing that here, giving them their discipline and out the door, I missed that whole opportunity for connection. Welcome to the Society's Child Podcast, where we have real conversations about being a trauma-responsive educator in the midst of a significant mental health crisis. Hi, I'm Trish Senzak, a former educator, compassion advocate, and Jesus lover, and I'm so grateful that you're here. Are you feeling confuzzled about your students' behavior and needs? You're not alone. If trauma-informed strategies leave you wondering, what's next? Don't worry. My friend, I've been there too. As a foster mom and a child of complex trauma mixed with my experience as a teacher, it's led me to finding a compassionate, whole child approach that's evidence-based, practical, and transformational, and I'm so eager to share it with you. Whether you want to connect with your students on a deeper level, create a trauma-sensitive environment, or you just need a little bit of encouragement or support, you're in the right place. So grab a drink, a pen, or your earbuds, and let's work together to create a safe and student-attuned, trauma-responsive school culture. Society's children need you. So let's get started. Hey friends, as a reminder, we're in a multi-part series with Jim Sporleader, who was a principal at Lincoln High School in Walla Walla, Washington. His conversation was on point, rich, and full of great wisdom for any of us feeling called to make a true change on our campuses and become trauma responsive. Last week, if you missed it, we had a chance to learn about his story and how he began to break the mold and introduce the trauma-informed movement at his school district. He shared with us some of the ups and downs and those humble beginnings. If you haven't listened, please take time to go back and listen to part one. I work really hard at keeping these episodes in and around 20 minutes for you, so I'm breaking this interview into three parts, and this is part two, and I keep them this way so that they're digestible for you because I know your time is valuable, limited, and very precious. So today in part two, I want you to listen for three things. Number one, how the students were aware that on this campus there was a sense of family, namely listen in for the one simple tip he gives about the morning check-ins and even calling students in to check in on them personally. We also learn about how he establishes relationships, even in discipline. And at the end, he also gives us something else we really need to think about when trying to keep the trauma-informed movement in check. So let's get right to it. When I'm in relationships and have the connection, then I'm in a teachable moment. Behavior becomes a teachable moment. Then I can say, what other options do we have here other than telling the teacher to help off rather than getting up in a kid's face and having physical contact? And then I would teach them, if you come to me before you blow up, I said, I've got all kinds of options. If you come to me after you've blown up or sit to me, I said, I don't have as many options We'll work it out, but but man, if you can get to me when you feel like you're about ready to lose it, I said, we got all kinds of options. And that's the other beautiful thing about it. Kids started coming in and advocating for themselves. They'd come to my door and say, I'm about ready to blow up. And I'd say, okay, 
We allowed them to go up to the in-school suspension room and take a timeout. I let them stay in there till they felt like they were ready. And when they were ready and come, they'd go back wherever they, their schedule was. They'd go right back in. It was just really cool seeing the, the kids finally learning how to advocate for themselves, understanding their regulation. What we had is kid advocated. We didn't have the blow up because they advocated. And when they came back down to enter the, their schedule again, they were regulated. Mm-hmm. And so a regulated student went back to class. And when the kids were regulated, they engaged in the learning. We saw our academic scores started going up and our graduation rate started going way up. And so our kids learned how to access that with the adult. And it's a beautiful thing. The test scores in itself, I think a lot of that has to be attributed to this shift. We can, you know, can only say that. So thinking about when you have these kids in your office, you've got a kid who's blown up, flipped over tables, effed off a teacher, punched walls, broken things. I think I heard you speak about this before in a possible another interview, but you just reminded me. Going from that punitive idea of, well, that's an automatic 10 days out of school, How did you shift to, yes, there's a relationship. Yes, we have to have this story and this getting to know the kid and the regulation and all that. How did you get administrators or people to shift? And maybe this is where we can talk to those who are in these positions. They still get the consequence. Talk about how you still do, you still have the, the kid knows they've done something once they've calmed down. Talk about how much easier it is to be able to then say, you know what, we messed up. This is what we got to do. How did they come? to accept that and how did you get to that place with the culture that we had developed we called ourselves the lincoln family we, we were out greeting kids every single day we greeted them and we read their body language as kids were coming on campus we we're high-fiving fist bumping how you guys is doing if someone they didn't they, they didn't know high five they walked right by us you could tell they were upset we would make note of that and, and once we got back to the office we'd pull them back down and just say hey this morning you know i went to fist bump you and it seemed like you you were upset are you okay you know and they could say hey, i'm fine and it was like okay great we love you guys just wanted to double check on you a lot of times it was no you know they'd say no i'm not and, and then we would be able to work through that one, one thing i, I want to make real clear is that trauma informed gets a bad rap that it's too passive i've always said if we're not holding kids accountable we're failing them yes it's how we hold them accountable so when, when i held kids accountable by telling them what it is they did wrong why we're not going to be doing that here giving them their discipline and out the door i missed that whole opportunity for connection mm. when i ask kids what's going on and we talked it through and it might even be that i that during that, I walk them out to the health center and get them a counseling session and walk them back up to the office and say, okay, we got to take care of this. Now, major infractions like what you described, I've not, I just knocked table over or thrown any chairs. That's, that's a major safety issue. And so you bring them down and you get them to calm and then you share, whoa, that was well, that was pretty serious. Man, we can't have that here because my jobs keep you safe, but it's also to keep everybody else safe in the room. We're going to have a day of sus- out-of-school suspension, then I'm going to bring you back to in-school suspension, and we're going to learn from this. So there's times when an out-of-school suspension is justified, but what I learned, Trisha, is that the more we learned and the more we applied it, the relationships were so strong that when these kids had a major 
a major incident, you could tell in the office before they left, the lesson was already learned. Mm -hmm. In my last year, I found that even with me, I had an assault my last year, the worst assault in my career, two girls. Mm -hmm. I, I got in the middle of it, you know, high school kids, they say they'll get in the middle of a fight. But I got in the middle of it because one was at a disadvantage. She was getting pummeled. I got in the middle of it, so I'm getting kicked from the girl and punched from the girl behind. And the girl in front of me, the other girl had her hair and her head down. She was kicking me. And when it was all said and done, and we got up to the office, and I'm not exaggerating. When we looked at the security cameras, the, the, there was that much hair around the area that oh. they were at. When I went in and talked to them, and, just, and I told them, man, this, this was way over the top. And I said, it was serious, and uh, we're going to have to arrest for an assault mm. for both of you. And you're going to go down to the JJC. And both of them started crying. Mm. Both of them felt horrible about what they did and i shared with them the blinds are shut we're going to wait for the other kids to get back into class we're not going to handcuff you in the office matt's going to walk you out to the car when he gets you out to the car he has to handcuff you it's by law but we're not going to do it to humiliate you or whatever but for those kids left i mean they were genuinely felt horrible for what happened and they were saying we're so sorry Obviously, they were upset that they were going in for lockup. But for the for the worst assault I've been a part of with those two girls, I only put them out for two days. That would have been a, that would have been a, an emergency explosion, and they would have had to work their way back in. Mm. In my, my old mindset, but I could tell when they left, the lesson was learned. So I didn't have to do a five-day suspension. You know, I did it out of school, and then I brought them to, into in-school. They both were in the same area. We never had any issues with them after that, and they were so happy to be back. A common thing that we heard from our kids uh, after a long weekend or so is, oh, I'm so glad to be back with my Lincoln family, mm. especially after vacations. Vacation was horrible. I'm so glad to be back with my family. Mm-hmm. I love that. So with that culture, I was just able to learn that I even shortened things up even more because I could tell before kids even left the office that the lesson was learned. I didn't have to do three, four, five days. I could even do one or two, and that that was enough. Wow. Yeah, it's about the lesson being learned and about the relationship, and it's so beautiful how you explain that and that they wanted to be back. And um, I know. For from where I've come from. There's not a lot of times kids want to come back to school. Well, yeah, it's about the lesson being learned and about the relationships. So thinking about when we're trying to implement this, this across the board, there's always some of those areas that you're like, oh man, we probably should have put more emphasis there. or Maybe we didn't think about that. Are there anything like that that you could share with us that administrators probably need to be making sure they're checking into? I would say pre-COVID, we had, a, we had a great momentum going nationally. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like that's one of the, one of the blessings I, I've had in my journey because I've been able, an awareness of the pulse of a movement after COVID hit, the stress. I don't think teachers or administrators have been under that kind of stress in our history, even more so the stress that was put on our kids to be pulled away from that caring adult for almost two years. Now that we're in post-COVID, our kids 
came back, their behaviors were just so extreme, worse than we've ever seen. And because of the stress that our educators have gone through, people really fell back into a, a very traditional mindset. Mm. And so it, it's get these kids out of here. It's been heartbreaking. I'm ju- it's just now picking up traction again. I mean, I, I, I trained 58 schools in Indianapolis, and our top district that was shown incredible growth post-COVID couldn't commit to any trainings at all. Monday, I'm flying back to Indianapolis, and we're educators are now starting to say we got we need help. Mm. So we're, we're starting to get a little bit of traction. I'm going to say it. It's going to be controversial, but I have to say it. I think think with the trauma movement, we have embraced gender issues we've embraced books that are out there that have been very controversy that are coming into our schools we've embraced a lot of things that really concern me because i think right now the movement is moving in a direction that i i hope and pray will come back a little bit i believe we're called to love and if i had a student that wanted to be called m because they're non-binary. I'm going to call that student M, and I'm going to love them. But I'm not going to enter into conversations around that. And, and I'm not going to, I'll never enter into a conversation about the transgender issues that we're seeing, about where, where we as educators can, can counsel a child through that without talking to the parents. That really bothers me. I can love, I can love, love on these kids. And I can love on them in a way that I don't have to get involved in those types of conversations. And when we get into those conversations, the one thing we forget is that students of trauma have deficits in their learning. It's very hard work to take that gap and start closing it. If I love you and I'm creating a trauma-responsive environment, I'm training you and coaching you on regulation because a regulated student is an engaged student. An engaged student that gets involved in the learning, their scores will start coming up. With all this other stuff happening, to me, it's taken away from that main focus is we've got to close the gap because that's what moves them forward in life not the other stuff that we've gotten so involved in. We've got to keep it focused on uh, if I can close the gap, increase the learning, better prepare them for when they graduate, that's where I want to be. I don't want to be entrenched in discussions that have nothing to do with their closing that gap. And that I might not even be prepared to have. Get Those conversations are, you know, super scary. And I love how you're saying, so let's stay focused on the learning. Can I, I can definitely see the focus that you're talking about here and how that's shifting. So if you've not had a chance to watch the Paper Tigers documentary about Jim Sporleader and his school, I'd recommend you go back and check it out and watch it. It's truly inspiring. And it really gives us the hope and the possibility of that, that this work can really be done. Next week, you'll want to tune in as we wrap up this series with Jim Sporleader as he shares with us how administrators can take their health super seriously in the midst of all the stress of implementing the trauma-informed strategies on campus. Speaking of self-care, if you're looking for ways to build more peace in your career, I've created a list of 75 affirmations based on 25 Bible scriptures. 
and I'd love to share it with you and help you keep your sanity. You can go to trishz.com forward slash Bible dash AFS. That's A-F-F-S for affirmations. I'll also leave the link in the show notes for you too. Until next time, my friend, stay grounded, stay regulated, and stay prayed up. Hey, amazing educators. Thanks for tuning in. If you found this episode helpful, I'd love for you to hit subscribe and leave a review. Even better, share this episode with a colleague. And hey, I'd love to connect with you on social media. You can even join my Facebook group for some extra support and a dash of inspiration. I've left all the links in the show notes. Until next time, my friend, remember, you're not alone on this journey. You've got this. Keep making a difference and stay teach-tastic.